with ourselves, our lives are an everyday rehearsal of we hide ourselves from God and we feel shame. And maybe it's not you are visiting a harlot, which in our culture is a big sin. But we all have areas of shame in our lives. We do. But it's interesting that Adam and Eve, in their sinfulness, they felt shame and they hid from God. And what does God do? God comes to find them and he covers their shame. Guilt and shame are powerful emotions that can drive us to do further wrong things. Today, you're going to hear about Judah, who had been making poor decisions for a few years, making another terrible choice. Pastor Daniel is going to show that we know when we mess up. We tend to want to hide from examination by others. You'll be encouraged to rip the scab off of the sin in your life. Be honest with yourself and with God. Here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 38 as he continues his message, Judah, Tamar, and the grace of God. What is this all about? So Judah's firstborn Ur was a wicked dude. That's what verse 7 says in the New Daniel translation. He's a wicked dude. And the Lord, because of his wickedness, he was committing a sin unto death, and he the Lord took him. Now, people struggle with this. But the reality is that God is a just God. And part of God's justice is that God will remove injustice from the world. Now, for Americans, we struggle with this because we live in, even though it doesn't always seem that way, we live in a very just culture. Most of us are not experiencing all sorts of horrific injustices. Yeah, maybe you have a boss who's a little grumpy in the morning. But by and large, most of us are living within a just culture. And a lot of other places, the injustice is so rampant that you see this, they're like, yeah, that's a part of God's perfection. In our culture, we think, God killed this man because he was wicked? I mean, are you kidding me? But this is part of God's justice. So what happens? So Ur dies, and... Judah comes and he talks to the secondborn, Onan, and he said to him, listen, I want you to go into your brother's wife and I want you to marry her and I want you to raise up an heir for your brother. Now, this is an Old Testament concept called the Leverite marriage. What this means is, remember I've told you, and we're going to see this more as we go through, is that in the nation of Israel, land was given by tribe And the firstborn of the family became the spiritual head of the home. So the firstborn son had the rights to be the head of the family. But if the firstborn son died, the next son in years would take his brother's wife as his own, and they would have children, and the firstborn of that relationship would be considered his older brother's son. So it was a part of the way of perpetuating the name. Now, I know that sounds weird. We don't necessarily do that. If we did and you had an older brother, you'd definitely be checking out his wife to see if anything went on with my brother. Is is she cool? That was the way the culture was. And so what's going on here is Judah tells Onan, even before the law was given, listen, your brother Ur is the recipient of our familial blessing. 
So you need to take Tamar as your wife. You're going to have offspring. And your firstborn is going to be considered Ur's son. So that the firstborn of Onan and Tamar will actually be the next in line to have oversight over the family. It's called the Leverite marriage. Read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10 is the big passage about it. It pretty much just explains this. But look at what happens. Onan, in verse 9, knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. So this is what scholars like to call coitus interruptus. So for those of you who know Latin, coitus is the act of a husband and a wife, but it's interruptus because before everything hit its climax, he, what you would call, pulled out and he emitted on the ground. I told you to have your kids go out, but I'm just explaining this. But this is serious to the Lord. This is serious to the Lord because notice what happens. When this happened, you find that, and this thing in verse 10, which he did, it displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. So because Onan would not complete this act to raise up offspring for his brother, that offended the Lord. Now, I want to unpack this because a lot of people want to say, this is proof that you shouldn't use birth control. And guess what? That, this has nothing to do with that. The issue was not, quote-unquote, birth control. The issue was that Onan did not want to see his brother have an offspring who would take his place of primacy in the family. That's where the issue comes. So to cycle back to birth control, I always tell couples, birth control is between you and the Lord. That's where it boils down. Some people want to say, no, 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 no. And other people want to say, yes, 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 yes. And the Bible doesn't say either way. We know that God loves life. So that's why we think abortions are murder. We believe that because God loves life. But birth control is not aborting children. Now, I want to say this. If someone in here has had an abortion, please talk to a pastor here because God's grace is there for you. Okay? If you've made mistakes, no matter how many mistakes you've made, God's grace is there for you. You have not committed the unpardonable sin. Okay? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. But with that being said, if you've never had that, don't ever plan on doing that either. Okay? So we have grace for the sins that we've committed in ignorance, but now you're not ignorant anymore. God loves life, and we should value life as well. Okay? So the issue here for Onan is that he does not want someone to supersede him. He's not willing to take the lot in life that God has given him as the second born. And so what he does is instead of completing this with the potential, if he were to admit inside of her, then there is a potential for having a child. He pulled on out. He admitted on the ground. And God was offended. God was upset. And we're going to see this same type of thing in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, where they commit a sin leading unto death because what they're doing is offensive in the eyes of God. So from there, look at what happens in verse 11. Now, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went 
to dwell in her father's house. So Judah resolves this situation. Now think about it. He married his son to Tamar. Now he's lost two sons. And he's thinking to himself, I don't really want to lose all my kids. So he tells her, go to your father's house and live as a widow. Now in that culture, women could not work outside of the home. Really, it's only in the last 50, 100 years that this was much more common, where women could provide for themselves. And so I think that I bring that up simply because oftentimes we neglect to be thoughtful about things that go on historically because we're too busy looking through the goggles of our culture in which we live. And the blessing of the culture that we live in is that men and women both can provide for themselves. But it was not always so. So for Tamar... He says, go back to your dad's house, live as a widow. So your dad will take care of you until my son, Sheila, is grown up. And then I will bring you to Sheila. And and the two of you will be married. And then the firstborn of your offspring will end up being your brother Ur's child and will have the place of primacy. So he sends her on back. Now in verse 12, now in the process of time, The daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers in Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, verse 13, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Shela was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her, by the way, and says, please let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There is no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of this place said there was no harlot in this place. And then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. Now, you see why I say you got to be kidding me, Judah? I mean, this is a mess. This is a mess. So what happens? It's time to shear the sheep. Right? And Judah's wife has died. So now he's a widower. He goes up. He's with his good buddy, the Adulamite. You know, there's that part of you that as you read this, you start wondering, you know, like, you know, maybe this man is a bad influence on Judah. I mean, you have to ask the question. You don't hear about him any other place except here. And everything we find out about this guy, Hira, it's like Judah's just doing stupid things. And so we got to ask ourselves, and it's a good question, are we influenced for evil by certain people? Do we have influences in our lives that are leading us astray? 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with in love saying, look, I really want to spend time with you, but you are not a good influence in my life. And guess what? My life is too short and too precious to mess around with it anymore. So until we can find other things that are fun to do other than the things that we're doing, we need to cease and desist spending time together. Okay? It's an important thing because so often we have friends and we love them and we want to be a part of their lives, but they're bad for us. I'll give you a personal example, not to pat myself on the back, but one of my best friends was getting married and I was in the wedding party, right? And they said, hey, man, we're going to go have a bachelor party in Las Vegas. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of movies that come out about bachelor parties in Las Vegas. And I thought to myself, you know, bro, I love you, but I can't go to Vegas with you guys. Because I know what goes on in Vegas at bachelor parties. And it's normally not sitting around playing spades. And they were like, Daniel, I understand. We'd love for you to be there, but we understand. And sure enough, one of my buddies came home with a broken arm from that bachelor party. Seriously. It was one of those late night guy wrestling matches. And I just thought to myself, thank you, Jesus. Because I know that if this guy got a broken arm, I'd probably have a broken neck with these guys. And they're my friends, and I love them. Grown up with these guys. But you know what? I also don't want to be stumbled either. I know that I'm but dust, frail, like all people, and don't want to mess around with those things. And what's fun is my friends didn't reject me. They didn't say, oh, you know, you missed the most important day of my life. I mean, God forbid that the bachelor party is more important than the wedding day. But they were totally cool. I checked in with them. We had a great time at their wedding. And I didn't end up in a compromised position. And I just share that with you because oftentimes we have people in our lives who are bad influences. We can still love them. We can still honor them. But that doesn't mean we have to do the things that they're doing. So Judah goes on up to shear his sheep, right? And Tamar hears that her father-in-law is going up to shear his sheep. So what does she do? She takes off her widow's garments. She covered herself with a veil, and she wrapped herself, and she presented herself as a harlot. So she took off her garments of mourning, and she presented herself in the open square. She did this because she realized that his son Sheila had grown up, but Judah hadn't come through on his promise. And really what he was doing was is he was oppressing her. Because he left her without the covering of a husband. And so he said he was going to take care of her as he ought to do in that culture, but he wasn't. So she comes up with this idea, I'm going to present myself as a harlot. And sure enough, Judah's traveling. In verse 15, he saw her. He thought she was a harlot. She covered her face and he came and he propositioned her. That's verses 15 and 16. He saw her, he didn't have a wife, and he pulled a man-dumb thing. Now, again, if he was around a godly man, a godly man would be like, are you kidding me? You are not going to do that. But he didn't have anybody, and he wasn't. I mean, this is just bad, right? Plain and simple. She says, well, what will you give me? He says, I'll give you a young goat of the flock. That's a good deal. Okay, like if someone did that to you, like a young goat of the flocks. I mean, are you kidding me? But in that culture, a young goat of the flocks, that's a really cool gift. It was an honorable gift in that culture. 
And she said, well, what are you going to give me until you give me? Because it wasn't like he was traveling with one of his sheep. So she says, look, I want you to give me your signet ring, your staff, and the cord. Now, you have to think, in verse 18, the signet ring was the pledge. So like it'd be like my grandfather used to have a ring that had his initials on it. And in that culture, when you bought something, they would like melt like some wax, and they would press their ring into it. And it was like for maybe DF for Daniel Fusco. People knew that was mine, right? And so he gave her this piece of, uh, of his name. He said, I'm going to give you this, and then once we do this, this means I'm going to give you this until I bring you the young child of the goats. And she says, that sounds great. But what's interesting is that for Tamar, it wasn't about the sex. It really wasn't about that for her. It was about Judah honoring what he had said he would do. That's what it was about. And so they sleep together. She bails. He sends his buddy to go complete the transaction. There's no harlot in that area. She doesn't belong there. She's not like, that's not her corner, so to speak. And it's interesting that Judah even knows, even knows that what he did was shameful. Look at verse 22 and 23. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of this place said that there is no harlot in this place. And then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. Brothers and sisters, listen. Listen. We have to deal with the shameful things of our life. And if we're really honest, we all have them. Some of us, they're a very present reality. For some of us, they're things of the past. But if you think about when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They hid from God and they felt shame. Isn't that what it says? And if we're honest with ourselves, our lives are an everyday rehearsal of we hide ourselves from God and we feel shame. And maybe it's not you are visiting a harlot, which in our culture is a big sin. But we all have areas of shame in our lives. We do. But it's interesting that Adam and Eve, in their sinfulness, they felt shame and they hid from God. And what does God do? God comes to find them and he covers their shame. And that's the gospel, isn't it? It's God coming to find humanity that is filled with shame and hiding from him. And he comes in the person of Jesus and he comes in search of you, and he comes in search of me. So no matter what your shame is, no matter how real and how forming it's been to your life, if you come to Jesus, Jesus is looking for you. He's coming, knocking on the door of your life, and he's saying, look, I want to cover your shame. I want to help you deal with your shame. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And part of that is saying, look, I know shame in my own life, but I know that Jesus has forgiven me. And I can't change my past. And it was sordid, and it was wrong, and I feel terrible about it. But guess what? Jesus has come and taught me a new way, and he's covered that sin. 
That is the glory of what it means to be a child of God. So brother, sister, whatever that shame-inducing thing is in your life, whether present or past or whatever it is, come to Jesus and allow Jesus to robe you with new robes, clean robes. I'll never forget, this was so vivid in my life because I remember when my pastor, Pastor John Henry Corcoran, when they wanted to ordain me as a pastor. And I remember that before they were going to do that, they wanted me to sit down with the board of elders there. And I remember for like five days, I was like out of sorts. And you're like, well, Pastor Dan, you're always a little out of sorts. But I mean, like really out of sorts. Like I just kind of like, my heart was racing and my hands were clammy. I was just really anxious. Because in the days leading up to this interview, before my ordination, Satan was just hammering me with my whole life. I mean, a whole life of total rebellion. And not just me in rebellion, but me cheerleading people into rebellion. And I remember it was like Thursday in the office where the meeting was going to be the next day. And my pastor grabbed me and says, Daniel, you look terrible. And I'm like, I got to be honest with you, Pastor John Henry. I am a mess right now. Tell me why. And I just said, John Henry, I mean, you know where I've been. And I just went down the list. I mean, and it was a list. And I didn't even give him the really bad things. I just gave him like the, this is kind of bad stuff. And he's like, yeah, really bad. So he says, you know, he was tough too. He'd like to give you hard times, like really bad. And he's like, and you feel like you can't do this, right? I'm like, absolutely. I don't want to tell these guys all this stuff. He said, well, you know, Daniel, if God has forgotten it, who are you to remember it any longer? And I was just like, you know, you know, it was like one of those ones, like, like a friendly brother who punches you in the face with the truth of the, of the word, you know? And then he quoted, he's like, as far as the East is what? Is from the West. That's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. And you know how far the East is from the West? That's as far as it gets. It's like the East and the West never meet up. It's like they're just on the opposite sides. And I bring this up because for so many of us, God has separated us from our shame, but we're still busy staring at it. Maybe other people won't let us get past it, but oftentimes we're the ones. We're the ones who are stuck. And maybe there's somebody in your life who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And they've done terrible things to you, and you won't let them get past it. And this is what the gospel is all about in application. It's about reconciliation. It's about bringing people who are at enmity back together. So whatever the pieces of shame in your life is, bring them to Jesus. He is really good at this. Bring them to him and let him bring peace through it. Bring reconciliation Bring redemption and salvation through those areas of shame. Judah knows what he's doing is shameful, but yet he did it anyway. He still did it. Jesus is real. If you ever thought that the Bible was just a boring old book full of lists of people's names and such, today's teaching should have changed your mind. Prostitution out of wedlock births, whoa. 
As Pastor Daniel taught, there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible isn't afraid to tackle all kinds of issues. It's a relief to know that God can take what sounds like a soap opera and bring good out of it. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel is going to continue with this soap opera that was Judah's life. You're also going to hear about how God judges our lives versus how we judge our lives and other people's lives. Pastor Daniel will show how God takes a mess of Judah's making and makes a really great thing out of it. This will be a great display of God's forgiveness and redemption. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues through this series called Brothers. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.